Once we were so happy, you were my very own. Then you bought that guitar and ruined our happy home. You told me that you're gonna pick, you're gonna be a star. Well, I'm tired of playing second fiddle to an old guitar. You gaze at that guitar on your knee. Attention all planets of the Solar Federation. Welcome to the 41st ever episode of Any Ideas, the podcast about coming up with a podcast, uh, and the first ever episode of Second Fiddle, the podcast that praises the unsung heroes of your favorite music. Uh, I'm Mitch Kreitzman alongside my co-host Jordan Kreitzman. And uh, Jordan, you already noticed this on the Skype, but I'm uh, coming to you live from the floor of my office today instead of the desk. You're probably asking yourself, why? Um... I assume that's the, the case, yes? No, move on. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, as I already mentioned, you know, we spent all this time reorganizing the bedroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we're on to reorganizing the office. Oh, cool. So right now the area by my desk is a little bit of a mess, but sure. this area of the room is all cleared out. So I thought I would just take to this little region, at least for now. Sure. Looks good, uh, that little corner there. <laughs> Hey, thanks. Um, Real slick. Also, it's like, you know, with the world the way it is, why not switch things up every once in a while? We're all just making it up as we go along anyway, right? We're all just establishing a pea corner, really. Yeah, that's that's pretty much <laughs> the extent of it. And, you know, it to that end, we're also just kind of doing that same thing with our podcast now. Um, this is the third pilot in a row. <laughs> Who knows how many pilots we'll do in a row before we do another brainstorming episode. We have so many. Um, um, I mean, quite frankly, at this point, um, we're just doing our best with everything going on. And Yeah, we're trying, if people. If you right. don't like it, I mean, you can, you can definitely <laughs> get the hell out. <laughs> That's fine with me. I'm not going to... Look, I I understand that it's been well established that the numbers aren't great, but at this point, not great is just not great, you know? Yeah, it's I not mean, gonna going from five listeners to four listeners is really yeah, be a or like you know three to two depending on the week. Um, oh boy, is yeah. it that bad? No, it's not okay. really that bad. Oh. Um, I'm just making a sound. A lit, slightly more self-deprecating <laughs> to <laughs> make it seem like the numbers are actually very high, um, but they're not. Yeah, no, no, they're not. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, Jordan, this week we're um, we're doing an episode that that, quite frankly, for me is long, uh, long awaited. Something that I feel is possibly my best idea I've I've had on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who maybe don't remember the idea behind Second Fiddle. Basically, it's just an appreciation podcast for uh, lesser-known members uh, of famous bands. Um, so, you know, you've got, you know, with Led Zeppelin, arguably all four of them are very famous, but arguably the the least of uh, the least famous of the four would be, you know, John Paul Jones, the bass player. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, it, appreciating guys like that. Um, so today we're talking about. Uh, none other than Alex Lifeson. Um, for those of you who don't know who that is, he's the guitar player for Rush. Mitch, um, I thought you were going to say, for those of you who don't know who that is, you can get the hell out. <laughs> also, if you don't know who that is, you can get the hell out. That's fine, too. Although I suppose the whole point of the podcast is making these people more well-known. Yeah, but if you've not heard the name, 
you can get the hell out. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I'm still on board for that idea. Um, no, but I thought this was kind of the perfect one to start us off because I don't know if there are many other cases out there of, of someone who just has a, such a well of talent that gets overshadowed by other members. Um, mm-hmm. And the other part of that is that I feel like this premise a lot of times is just going to resort to talking about the bass player because that's kind of how it goes in bands. They're kind of the least well-known right. uh, member. Uh, but I would say that's not the case with Rush. I would say Alex Lyson's probably the least well-known of the three. And it's understandable in this situation because um, you know you stack them up against two guys who you could make the argument for being the best to ever do it in their respective instruments. You have Getty Lee on the bass and Neil Peart on the drums. Um, I think ter- I think purely in terms of technical ability, there's definitely no better drummer of all time than Neil Peart. I don't think that's really even arguable. Mm-hmm. And with Getty Lee, um, I would say he's interchangeable with a few other people where if you would say he's number one, no one would really say like that's crazy, but plenty of people have other opinions. Yeah, you could throw Mr. Gedford Lee over with John Paul Jones, <laughs> John and, uh, Whistle, John at Whistle for sure. Uh, you could; those are kind of you know, I, or or maybe I mean, most people would probably throw like a John Paul Jones and John and Whistle up at the top. Getty yeah. Lee's always kind of trailing just right behind him. So, if if you're more of a modern, uh, if you're more of a modern listener. Um, you know, Les Claypool from Primus is a really crazy bass player. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't know. To me, it's not really part of being a good bass player is being able to fit the song well, like knowing that you're not necessarily the melody of the song. Yeah, which we'll we'll talk about a little bit in this episode actually. But um, anyway, he's he's one of those guys to me that doesn't feel like he does that as much. He's kind of the focus of the whole thing. But mm-hmm. regardless. Um, we're not here to talk about bass players today, Jordan. We're here to talk about guitar players, specifically the, uh, Alex Lifeson. Yeah, and, and for um, the record, um, if you want to hear us talk about bass players, you can get that out. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, if, if, that, if that five minutes we just spent on it wasn't enough for you, you can definitely get that out. I feel like ever since we've done the Can I Get a Hell Yeah podcast, um, our new thing now is telling people to get the hell out. <laughs> We've we've found we've found this new ego that I don't know where it came from, but oh, you started talking about pea corners. I just got real. I think you're the one that brought up ego hobby. Yeah. Um. So I'm going to give you a a few quick facts about Alex Lifeson before we get into what we appreciate about him, Jordan. Like I said, um, he is slash was the guitar player for rush they're now mostly defunct with the with the death of neil Peart, but not officially mm-hmm. um he is a founding member and uh it's been there throughout the life of the band um you know i didn't realize this until reading about him a little bit on wikipedia today technically speaking he's the only founding member that was throughout the life of the band Technically, Getty Lee didn't join until about a month into the band's life, um, right? Which yeah. they don't really talk about in Beyond the Lighted Stage. I thought they probably did my briefly. maybe very briefly, but yeah. Anyway, um, Beyond the Lighted Stage. By the way, if hearing us talk about Alex Lifeson makes you want to know more about Rush, first of all, 
you can get the hell out. Um, <laughs> second of all, definitely go watch Beyond the Lighted Stage. It's a fantastic documentary. Um, oh, yeah. And you'll hear a very Canadian Alex Lifeson in high school talking. Oh, yeah. Very weird. Um, there was, I don't know the background story on that much, but they have some sort of footage of him as a high schooler having arguments with his parents. And he's got just the worst facial hair, Mitch. Yeah, it makes you wonder why they have a a home video of like an uncomfortable family argument. Yeah, I thought I read somewhere that was actually filmed in Canada for some, you know, PBS type of scenario. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I'd have to look it up, but um, I always thought that was funny that that existed. (laughs) Yeah, so, um, you know, throughout the the life of the band, there were several phases um, from going to a, a pretty typical hard rock band into getting up getting on the much more progressive side, um, then almost sort of airing in the new wave and, and pop there for a couple of albums before really diving into the the synth popularity of the 80s, um, at which point they kind of came back to what their modern sound turned out to be, which is more or less not as progressive as some of their earlier stuff, but also not as bland as the the first album so kind of kind of somewhere in the middle but anyway he kind of was a big driving force in that whole thing he was kind of the guy that brought them out of the synth era um and ultimately he was just kind of down to clown regardless of of where they went as a band which you have to appreciate he loved reverb bitch loved a good reverb Oh, I forgot about that scene. <laughs> he just keeps talking about how he wants more reverb and the producer won't let him have more <laughs> reverb. Um, you know, I he's uh, the 98th greatest guitarist of all time, according to the Rolling Stone. Um, Bad list. Now, I will say there was originally a list that had uh, Eddie Van Halen at like number 78 and then like Dwayne Allman at like number two. It was just completely out of whack. Well, Kirk Cobain was like 10 or 11 or something. Yeah. So they well, we all I like believe, Kirk Cobain, but come on. <laughs> I believe they put out an updated list years yeah. later that also included like readers polls as part of the agenda. And I believe Eddie Van Halen's number three on that list, if I remember correctly. Um, I don't remember being. The, I remember it was like just top top ten. top ten for yeah, sure, like a nine or something. But I don't think Alex Lifeson was even top one hundred in the previous list. So yeah, you know, that's an added plus. Now, Rolling granted, Stone, you can get the hell out. You certainly can, <laughs> um, and I think he should be higher than ninety eight. Certainly, but at least he was recognized in some fashion as the top um, one hundred. Right? Can I even name a hundred bands? <laughs> Yes, <laughs> we're not going to sit here and do that. But yes, you can. That's not interesting um, to the audience, all right? No, I can't. I, I have to draw the line somewhere. Um, so he had a couple of little-known solo and side projects during his time with Rush that, quite frankly, I didn't feel like was worth getting into super in depth. I just thought that was interesting that he did because I never heard really of heard of it. There are some guys. It's very famous. Um, musicians that specifically cite Alex Lifeson as an influence, not just Rush as a whole. Mm. Um, now, Jordan, you may remember in the Rush documentary, um, Kirk Hammett is is mentioned. Yeah. Um, or he talks a lot in it. Um, but in Alex Lifeson's Wikipedia, specifically James Hetfield has cited him as an influence, the oh. singer and rhythm guitarist for Metallica. Okay. Um, it, additionally, John Petrucci, uh, guitarist for Dream Theater, 
and Paul Gilbert, who I think is most well known for Mr. Big, but he's also just kind of known as one of those um, gun for hire types. (laughs) Yeah, he just kind of, I assume he's a session musician as well. Yeah. I mean, if you're that talented, I would assume people will pay you to play guitar mm-hmm. anywhere, right? Yeah. Um, but anyway, I mean, the guys the guys who really appreciate technical ability um, certainly appreciate Alex Lifeson. So mm-hmm. it's, it's good to know that there are people out there already appreciating him, but let's get a little bit into what we appreciate about Alex Lifeson, Jordan. Hell yeah. Mitch, can, can we still get a hell yeah? <laughs> we can hell yeah okay. whenever we want. It's <laughs> oh, just not necessarily the premise anymore. Oh, right, right, right. Um, now, the one that I want to start with I want to start with it, and I want to I want to make a bold claim here to say that I think this is an element of Alex Lifeson that we both would have talked about anyway, and specifically this song I think we would have talked about anyway. You can certainly tell me if I'm wrong here, um, but I I think an under an underappreciated ability about Alex Lifeson is that he can just absolutely shred. I mean, would you oh, yeah. agree with that? That yeah. his his ability to solo is uncanny which is why i want to talk a little bit about lavia strangiato i'm, I'm oh, sure yeah. you were going to talk about it that yeah i was thinking that one too because i mean it's there's like a two minute solo within that song mm-hmm. that according to the documentary he was very adamant about doing all in one take which took him forever it didn't happen listen, <laughs> no it ultimately didn't happen um <laughs> But, I mean, if you listen to the song, it's easy to see why that didn't happen. I mean... I mean, Jordan, talk about it a little bit. It's it's in a crazy time signature, first of all. Oh, yeah. Well, it's it's bopping around to different time signatures like most Rush songs do. Right. Um, it's, what, nine and a half minutes long? Um, I would say it's probably my favorite Rush song. Um, not because Getty doesn't sing it all in it, but kind of because Getty doesn't sing it all in it. <laughs> it's just because I like it's instrumentals. In a, it's an acquired taste, certainly. And it's got the Looney Tunes song right in the middle of it. <laughs> Not the original, yeah, not, mean, not the one everyone's thinking of, but. I think if you really want just a microcosm of everything Alex Lyson brings to the table, it, it's it's all there. I mean, we'll talk about a few other songs, yeah. um, but. Shred and acoustic think, guitar. It's it's incredible. Yeah. It's, um yeah, that was one I tried to play a lot when I was playing guitar more. Um, obviously never nailed it 100%, but. Um, yeah. I had a passable attempt at it at one point. <laughs> I I know for myself playing the drums, I never even tried to touch Rush. It's just you don't you have, have the to kit really, for it, Mitch. <laughs> you have to be incredibly dedicated to your craft to even have a chance at yeah. that. So I was just like, I just kind of play casually, so that's never going to happen. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that to me is the best example of his ability to truly just shred with the with the best of them. Um, I mean. Did he cut? Was he innovative at all with like new playing techniques, or was it more so just a mastery of what was already there? Um, I wouldn't say his techniques were particularly. I think it was more just like um, 
prog metal being brought to the scene, right? That was really maybe his biggest um yeah, yeah. gift to the world, right? Um <laughs> well, but I mean, eh, at the same time, I don't know, with uh, Rush started what 1974, um I mean, he shreds a lot on the original album too. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah everyone yeah. kind of called them Led Zeppelin back then, but he was a much better version of Jimmy Page. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we can talk about that a little bit if we want, but I mean, if we ever were to turn this into something about, you know, overrated members of popular bands, Jimmy Page, very high on the list. <laughs> uh, don't get me wrong, he's a great guitar player, but are we really going to sit here and act like he's better than guys like Alex Lifeson or Eddie Van Halen? I No, absolutely not. One time Eddie Van Halen described him as uh, sounding like a two-year-old with a broken hand. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel like I said that on our first uh, our original podcast. <laughs> it's certainly possible. Yeah, that you I think I made I told that because I love that story. That's very. I mean, that's very funny. Yeah, because if you listen to like Heartbreaker or like live Heartbreaker, basically just Heartbreaker, yeah. his solo is just uh, always just um, choppy. <laughs> yeah, he's a sloppy sloppy live yeah, player for yeah. sure. Um, so yeah, I mean. This is yeah. That's just one of those ways that a guy like Alex Lifeson, Lifeson should definitely be getting more, more credit than a guy like Jimmy Page because ultimately, it, for at the time that Jimmy Page came out, he also wasn't doing anything particularly innovative, other right. than just exper- being experimental for the sake of it, like running a bow across his guitar, like that kind yeah. of stuff. And then do that for fifteen minutes. <laughs> yeah, it was more so just for the live experience <laughs> oh, than what it actually <laughs> sounded like. Um, uh, I, I used to act like I enjoyed that, but <laughs> <laughs> when you're playing a half hour version of Dazed and Confused, 20 minutes of it, it's just Jimmy Page playing his guitar like a violin. Ugh, right. I just, and, and I want to, I want to get to the big John Bonham drum break. That's, yeah. That's the best part of the song. I want the two hour Moby Dick that we get every concert. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so uh, on top of his ability to just, you know, absolutely shred the technical aspect of it i think his ability to sort of choose what to play in any given song is also a a big strength of his so Mm -hmm. in particular what i was thinking of when i was writing down notes um for this is the main uh the main riff from uh, anthem and the the reason that i thought of that is because i feel like his ability to sort of match Getty Lee in technical ability right. and sort of be able to play with him note for note. Mm-hmm. And like, that's, that's something that's very unique in the way that they do it. Yeah. He makes a big point in the beyond the light stage documentary too. I mean, well he was saying he was a hard, having a hard time fitting in, but if you listen to like their synth years, um, he did a pretty good job of fitting um, guitar pieces into synth heavy uh, melodies um, right. that can definitely be hard to do right and it's like it's not like they're matching each other on like a basic three chord structure Like they're literally playing like do 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 do
They've like, managed to crazy. fit more notes into that riff than I've ever heard in my life. It's like, I think you're and, even simplifying And more it. lyrics. Yeah, because it's something like, <laughs> do, do, <laughs> I mean, it's it's the proggiest of prog songs, oh. besides the fact that it's reasonable in length. Mitch, it's Kermit the Prog up in this bitch. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, Jordan, we have to, like, we literally have to make a line of T-shirts now that's, like, Kermit wearing, like, a Rush shirt, and it says Kermit the Prog. Like, we have to do that now. I'm game. We better I do almost this before. Need, I almost need to cut that out of the podcast because <laughs> yeah. I think I found our revenue found source. Found some merch, finally. <laughs> I don't even know if it's going to be podcast merch. I think it's just a shirt <laughs> we should make. We'll sell it to Walmart. Maybe they'll sell. <laughs> yeah. They will, I mean, I think we could definitely get into the hot topic market with that one at the very least. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, and then we could do those things where Kermit's wearing the shirt and then we make another shirt where Charlie Sheen's wearing that shirt. And then another shirt where, <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, it just keeps building. You know, right? Of course. <laughs> um, we make one where it's like Kermit's face, like on the water of a swamp, and it's Kermit the Bog. <laughs> yeah, we just keep doing renditions of Kermit. It doesn't have to be, or wrong. Kermit, uh, Kermit's head on a dog's body, and it's Kermit the Dog. <laughs> That I might mean, be a little weird. That <laughs> one's more obvious. We'll but... jump the shark by that, maybe. <laughs> um, Kermit the log. That one's pretty good. <laughs> anyway, we'll 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 workshop this later. Kermit... Um, <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I I, I want to hear whatever it is you were about to say. Uh, I was going to say a shirt called Kermit's Hog. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> That's why I said never mind. You know what? I'm I'm glad I should have just left it at that. Um, Jordan, what what's something that you really love about Alex Lifeson? Um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, I I'm like a lot. So again, I think it's a lot of the metal guitar players that really appreciate him, right? Because I think he was <clears throat> he he certainly wasn't the first dude shredding, but. I don't know a lot of, I'm back in 1974. Well, he didn't, yeah, it wasn't really quite 1974. They had that more metal sound. Yeah, that was maybe more 75. But but I feel like he was really the first guy that really, um, I mean, what, who, what other metal bands were out at that time? I mean, I know like, obviously Black Sabbath, but they're not that type of band. Like Judas right. Priest so, was around, I think. Judas Priest was like, they were like barely <clears throat> around, like they weren't they weren't well known. Okay. To my, uh, to so I mean, my you could really credit Alex Lifeson as one of the the fathers of metal guitar playing. I mean, yeah, so that's, no, I, I that's think, a big. Thing. I think you could. I think it's. I think it's the kind of stuff he was doing combined with the kind of stuff that like Tony Iommi was doing that sort of right. leads you into like ultimately what metal guitar playing is associated with because ultimately the like the heavy riff aspect of it i don't know if alex lifeson did as much he more so did the the heavy distortion the the stuff more focused on like technical ability rather than riff writing right so it's like kind of a combination of the two exactly yeah that's why i'm saying he's he's one of the forefathers not the not like he's not the godfather of right metal guitar but he's he's one of the guys but but yeah, I mean, he was always just kind of a cleaned up version of, I mean, he never, he's hard to describe. So, I mean, part of the reason he 
doesn't get mentioned as much as like you said, he wasn't particularly innovative. He wasn't going out right. and trying all these new things. He was more or less just kind of a master of whatever he was doing, which was getting underappreciated for sure. Cause he's really just, he's kind of a mixture of a number of different type of techniques, but he's kind of just the cleaned up perfected version of all of them. Like, right. Um, and riff master. I mean, so many good riffs and obviously the eighties, uh, were kind of lost on everyone <laughs> when it came to yeah. rush. He wasn't as a standout then, but other than that, I mean, yeah, he's, um, always been a riff master. So, I mean, it, yeah. And, and great soloist too. I am another one of those guys that's, does a really good job of both rhythm and lead work. Oh yeah, um, like an Eddie Van Halen, because that's they always say Eddie Van Halen. It, he has an underappreciated talent for uh, rhythm guitar. I think that's the same for Alex Lifeson too. Did you see recently? There were rumors out there that back in '77, when Van Halen was signed but hadn't put out their debut album yet. Their label was talking about replacing David Lee Roth with Sammy Hagar at the time. Did you hear about this? I've heard that. That's been a rumor for a long time, I think. Okay. I think, so they've I think been, the, it's been resurfacing or something. I think the reason it resurfaced was because Ted Templeman, who produced all of the Roth-era albums, came out and said, like, like there there were talks of it, and that would have been like a huge mistake if we had, basically. Right. Yeah, so I agree. <laughs> just interesting that that was on the table so long before it actually happened. But. Yeah, they were already trying to get David Lee Roth out of there. <laughs> well, and what's interesting is like not only from a charisma aspect, but from an aspect of like you just said, like with rhythm guitar, a guy like Sammy Hagar probably would have inserted himself into the picture of playing rhythm guitar. Yeah, that's which probably would have put a damper on things. Yeah, anytime you play guitar on live without a net video, I hated that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> He's a great guitar great. player, but it's just like, what are you doing? This <laughs> Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and like so like getting back to Alex Lifeson a little bit too, like I think his his ability to sort of adapt to stylistic changes I think was huge for him too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because like we've talked about, they've ha- they had quite a few different eras. Like the uh, initial era that was basically just hard rock. Yeah. You know, he was able to do that really well. Going into the prog stuff, I think, is really his sweet spot. But then going into, like, permanent waves and um, moving pictures, that almost, like, in certain spots requires him to take a more simplistic approach. Yeah. And he, like, does a he does a good job of that, too. Like, not oversimplifying it, but also not making it super, like, proggy. Like, and even in some cases, like, having that willingness to step back and sort of let Getty Lee do his thing and be the lead of the song. Like another example I was thinking of when I was writing this stuff down was, was red Barchetta. Like right in the beginning of red Barchetta, he's doing a very Alex Lifeson's doing a very simplistic melodic riff right there in the beginning and kind of letting Getty Lee lead where the song is going, Mm -hmm. especially with how that song is mixed. There's a very driving bass at the forefront of it, which sort of gives you sort of an idea of what the band kind of was always like, that that 
Alex Lifeson, like you said, sort of had trouble fitting in and took that back seat in a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's another a great example of just how he's sort of not only willing to be whatever he's needed to be, but like does such a good job of it. Um, yeah. And he's, and then, um, I think Kirk Hammond was the one that said this too. And I agree. Like, um, he's really good at, um, um, I guess varying the intensity of his playing. So he's really good at, um, playing quiet pieces and then making the, the latter pieces stand out more because of that. Um, like Red Barchetta, for example, right. or like Lavia Stringiato. Um, he's really good at kind of playing off both those type of things. Makes for a better song. Well, Amicism, Mitch. My my remembrance of this is that he did have a background more in more in like classical music, right? Oh, you, I think you're right. Not like before positive, he started yeah. playing rock music, like he grew up like learning, like play the piano and stuff with like classical music. I could be wrong, but that sounds roughly familiar. Um, yeah. Cause like, that's a, that's a big difference when you sort of get into that space of progressive rock is like a lot of rock guitarists know how to play rock music. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's a very flat one dimensional thing. But like what you're saying, like, the dynamics of the music is not something that is inherent to rock, but can make it that much better when someone knows how to use it. And that was kind of what he brought to the table. And I mean, like even going into the synth era, you know, he's, he like gets all this new gear with like, um, with like digital tracking and stuff to sort of Mm -hmm. continue to bring something to the table along the way. So, I mean, there's really no point, in the band's career where he wasn't like pivotal to the whole thing. Right. Yeah. He's it. Yeah. I, I, I can get why he's overlooked. Like Getty Lee's the singer. Uh, well there, I think they even said a documentary. He's, he's a singer and he's got an interesting look. Right. So it's like, he's up in front. Then obviously everyone says Neil's the best drummer. So he's, I, I, I understand why he's overlooked. It's just unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, no, because like you said, Getty Lee's a guy, he's like got the bass play, he's got the bass and the keyboard and the microphone, and he's got such a distinct look. And then like you've got Neil Peart like playing like a 30-piece drum kit doing these crazy long solos. And then you got Alex Lifeson who's like just kind of a guy. Like he's he never just kind really... of there, Mitch. <laughs> like once they, got to a, once they got to a certain era in their careers he kind of just started looking like a regular guy and never really went back (laughs) and he's the only one that still sounds super canadian (laughs) yeah that's that's very true because yeah so you can kind of hear it in getty lee's voice every once in a while but alex life's in for sure just (laughs) full-blown canadian um and then like his his adorable like 90 year old parents in the documentary were great too yeah like um how was because I know like Getty's parents like survived the Holocaust or something, but like I think I think Alex's parents did too. If I remember, were correctly. they both? Well, I know so. Yeah, Alex is Polish. Yes. Um, so I, but I, I don't think Alex is Jewish. Yeah, maybe I'm not remembering that. Yeah, correctly. well, they survived like the war or something. Like they, were, yes, like, right. It right, was right, some right, sort okay. of thing. Yeah, it was. <laughs> you know, some sort of thing. Some sort of thing over in Europe. I don't know what goes on over there. <laughs> Six million people, some sort of thing. You oh. get the idea. <laughs> That's right, Jordan. <laughs> I'm putting this on you now. Um, 
No, so I mean, if we were to say, you know, if someone, if we were trying to have this conversation with someone and they said to us, like, what's the, what's like the de facto song that you would point someone to if they want to know more about Alex Lifeson and like what he brought to the band? Do, I mean, do you think it's Livia Strangiato? Yeah, I think so. That's the first one that came to mind for me. Um, like I said, I think he's got a long working man, even though it's like an old one pre-Neil, it's still um, really kind of showcases his talents. Um, but uh, I, the, only, the other one I wrote, for some reason, Free Will came to mind for me, which I'm not exactly sure why, because I think of the bass more on that song, but... Um, it's I don't know. <laughs> Some of the, the the rhythm of it was always kind of a uh, the rhythm part was always kind of I don't know, it's like a lot of Rush songs. It was kind of odd in its timing, but like it's and I was just like kind of the opening riff, um, especially when um, after he, I mean it's another great solo on that song. And after the solo, oh yeah, for back, sure. Well, I was just thinking of that, like when he when he does those riffs in between, like the boo doom 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 doom, then he solos in between, and then it goes back into the riff of the boom boom boo doom boom boom. That's yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Talking about yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, so I mean, it's. One of many examples. I mean, really, all of his great guitar work, probably most of it is residing up through about moving pictures, but... Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, even, like, just random ones like Natural Science or... <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Jacob's Ladder. Um, that, I mean, if we're talking underrated Rush songs, Jacob's Ladder's got to be up there on that list. Oh, yeah. Because, like, at a time where they were definitely going through, like, a stylistic change, because, you know, you have you have Hemispheres in 1978, which is, like, basically the pinnacle of prog rock achievement. Um, just yes. the amount of work that they put into that album is insane. And, you know, they talk about this in the documentary, but they were so, they were, like, so beat down from that album that they just really wanted to go in a different direction, right. which is kind of how we got to Permanent Waves and, like, that stylistic change that led into Moving Pictures. Mm -hmm. And that's what's so interesting about a song like Jacob's Ladder is that, like, in the middle of this album that's so definitively, like, a new direction for them, they also go back and do something, like, this complicated and, yeah. and act like it's not even there. Like, it's, that song is intense and it's like 10 minutes long yeah yeah it's it's great especially that part where it's like <laughs> yeah i mean that that I song can't, gets, i can't figure that out to save my life <laughs> no that song gets really <laughs> it, crazy with the time signatures um just like beck gets crazy with the cheese whiz um anyway <laughs> um I mean, Jordan, are there any final notes we want to we want to share about about Alex Lifeson? Um, I I have a fun little a little fun fact about him. Well, a couple actually. I believe at some point he cameos in the Canadian comedy Trailer Park Boys. Um, <laughs> very very ridiculous show. Um, yeah, I think I read that. Very somewhere. funny. And then 
there was an incident back in the early 2000s where I believe it was something like they were at a they were at some sort of club at like a New Year's party and like his son was like getting roughed up by a bouncer or something and then Alex Lifeson like got in there like trying to like defend his son basically and he yeah. like got arrested. Yeah, that sounds familiar. And he it's it's funny though he got charged with like resisting arrest without violence basically so like he was resisting arrest but not in a very aggressive way which is pretty much the most canadian a way you can get arrested right like peacefully protesting your arrest yeah um another plus to him is i think he's the funniest in the band by far oh absolutely Dude's a cut I mean, up. so i getty lee doesn't take himself too seriously but he's also not like hilarious and then you have neil peard who takes himself way too seriously in in most like interviews and stuff yeah um and then yeah alex lifeson not only does he not take himself very seriously but he's just such a funny guy um (laughs) yeah he he i'd probably rather um i'd hang out with alex lifeson over any of them yeah i would agree i'd rather hang out with alex lifeson than most musicians oh yeah well, Most seems, musicians down are crazy yeah. people. Um, and really, this is a particular interesting case because we're talking about second fiddles. You could make the case Alex Life is in his third fiddle, right? Oh, he's a, he's a third fiddle he's for sure. He's a third fiddle, Mitch. Um, yeah, because I mean, y- you talk about, like like you said, down-to-earth musicians. There aren't a lot of them out there. Um, well, there, the more you get into like later eras of, of rock music, you, you get that more. Although that also comes with its fair share of people you wouldn't want to hang out with, like Bono. Um, yeah, well, I really think it's his act as third fiddle. It's always these guys yeah. that are down to earth. Because really, when you achieve fame, Mitch, I feel like hardly anyone really is normal. Like, when I was watching The Last right. Dance, like, Michael Jordan, he's just... Did you watch any of it? <laughs> I really am. I really only know what has been going on in that documentary from the things people post on Twitter. I mean, larger than life doesn't even begin to cover. (laughs) I know. I definitely know a lot of details from, you know, those nineties bulls years. Like obviously the stuff that they get into the, into in the documentary, that's like new info. I don't know much about, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a secret that Michael Jordan like is so disconnected from real life. Yeah. I mean, I was just watching the documentary like towards like, you know, they keep going back and forth between, and I actually didn't see some of the first few beginner episodes, but they jump between the final season and other seasons. And really that final yeah. season there, I mean, he he's top dog, right? He acts like... Oh, yeah. He, he, and, and it makes sense. He's Michael Jordan. Right. He's been told he's the greatest in the world. He is the greatest in the world. It's just like when you become that famous and skilled at something and deserve and get all this money and accolades, like you just... Right. <laughs> you are removed from society completely. Like... And so these second fiddles, third fiddles, fourth fiddles, they're just taking a back seat to the people who are the stars, right? So they're they're pretty yeah, much going to be like, all down to earth. Look at like uh, like Chris Novoselic, the the least famous member of Nirvana. When Nirvana was done, he just like went and became like a local Washington politician and just like lived his life. And he was kind of that was it for him. Yeah, like he and didn't... like John Paul Jones, he seems like a real normal guy. <laughs> he seems like such a normal guy. You're <laughs> yeah. absolutely right. These fiddles, it's they're normal, Mitch. They're you and me, just talented. <laughs> Al- Alex Van Halen seems like a very normal guy. Yeah, um, gotta love that. I mean. Jordan, one one thing I do want to uh, address with Michael Jordan here, um, 
I hope that conspiracy theories podcast you recommended to me. <laughs> so you you texted me about this yesterday, talking about how in the most recent episode he's convinced that there is a pizzeria in Salt Lake City that poisoned him, and like he that's how ate I the interpreted whole, it. He ate the whole pizza, is my understanding. Yeah. So the way the way they described it, quick, is they basically said like they only they needed a pizza. It was like past ten p.m. or something. They could only find one restaurant. That had that was open, which is kind of weird to begin with. And then, like when they delivered the pizza, five guys were at the door, and yeah. like it was Michael Jordan and uh, trainer or manager or something like that. And this guy was like, "Something doesn't feel right." And then Michael Jordan was like, "I ate the whole pizza, just me by myself." <laughs> and like they were just kind of hinting that they were he was poisoned. Like they I were, saw it. yeah, they're definitely saying it was food poisoning, but they are acting. They they were saying it. it they was were acting on like purpose. it was on purpose. Yeah, yeah. So and that all led to the flu game, which is crazy. Yeah. So um, not even the flu. I'm kind of. I'm actually right. just now. It's the food poisoning game. <laughs> it's the diarrhea game, which really is not <laughs> the, not uh, doesn't have as much of a ring game? to it. I don't... <laughs> um, no, but I, I saw a really funny tweet that was a a picture of like early seasons Tony Soprano with like his crew. And it was like, if you get a glimpse into the kitchen and this is what the guys making your pizza don't look look like, don't eat the whole pizza. <laughs> Which I thought was very funny. But no, so I, I was jokingly saying that like the Conspiracy Theories podcast you recommended to me should look into this. But I think yeah. the one they should really look into is the fact that his dad's death was entirely his fault. You've heard this, right? Yeah, well, yeah, there's a lot. Well, I've heard it before, and then there's a lot of talk about it in the documentary because um, people tie it with the media's um, propagation of uh, alleged gambling issues that he had. So that's that's the that's the conspiracy theory is that you know there were he he had all these gambling debts. He owed money to all these guys, and you know it was like loan sharks and stuff that ended up you know killing his dad. And then, yeah, well, then the, the, the bigger conspiracy on top of that, which I feel like, um, when I was younger, I, f- I could be wrong, but I feel like dad told me that he thought this is that, um, Michael Jordan didn't retire. He was, that was a nice way of being suspended from the NBA. Because oh yeah. Of no, that's, issues. that's definitely part of the conspiracy theory that, that year that he took off. It, yeah. That's the rumor is that that's why like he, they, he was such a big revenue source for the league that they couldn't, you know, officially suspend him, but they also needed to punish him in some way. Yeah. That, that's the whole rumor. And I mean, knowing so many years later that the um, the NBA draft where the Knicks got the number one pick and drafted Patrick Ewing. Yeah, so in that draft, supposedly it was completely rigged for the Knicks to get the number one pick and draft Patrick Ewing. Like apparently David Stern has come out and said that. Oh like, yeah. Officially. That's like fact at this point. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So it's like, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if there was something like that afoot here, but anyway, yeah. Well, if we you very watch the documentary, track. they play it off hard. Like, I mean, obviously I'm sure but they Michael do. Jordan, but Michael Jordan's basically like, yeah, I didn't have any issues. You know, I'd like to gamble, but you know, I'm not, like losing money over it but who knows the real story i agree but that's what i'm saying but but anyway we got very off track but that's all to say um yeah you know who's not second fiddle mitch michael jordan (laughs) you know what jordan maybe maybe someday we do an episode about (laughs) scotty pippen i don't know um he seems like a nice guy 
He does in the documentary. Like he's seen. I know people give him are giving him grief because he like he sat out that one play. Um, oh yeah, yeah. You'd have to watch the documentary, but but I think he's a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And like, um, you know, this is all to say, Alex Lifeson, if if you're listening, um, we we hope you uh, enjoyed our dissection of the Last Dance. Come on um, the podcast. And you know, come on the podcast, and we can talk some more. We, you know, we really would, do it. We could die happy if that happened. Yeah, we'll we, stop we the would, podcast after that. It, if someone can get us in touch with Alex Lifeson to do our podcast, we'll just quit, and then also you can get the hell out. Um, <laughs> It'll make the, us happy and the fans happy, <laughs> right? If we quit the podcast, then you have no choice but to get the hell out. So that works for all of us. Um, you know, Jordan, uh, let's uh, let's wrap up this week by talking about, you know, if we were to do some more second fiddles here, who who would we talk about? Who who comes to mind for you in that conversation? Well, this just jumped at me because it's kind of a weird situation, but um, can you, well, first, can you have two first fiddles? Yeah, like I think um, if you're talking about the Beatles... Like McCartney no, I was, and Lennon. Well, kind of, I was thinking of Rolling Stones. I was thinking of like Mick Jagger, Keith Richards. I'm kind of like, oh yeah, two first fiddles, right? Like for sure. <laughs> and then like with the Beatles, like McCartney and Lennon are the first fiddle. And then I would say George Harrison would actually be a pretty good second fiddle to talk about. Um, uh, yeah, very I, underrated guitar player and songwriter. Yeah, but yeah, beyond that, I mean, uh, Michael Anthony, Van Halen. Yeah. Um, uh, let's think, um, from Rage Against the Machine, maybe. There really is no big, meh. That probably wouldn't no, be a I, good one. I think Tom Morello is the the first fiddle, and... You don't think it's, uh, Zach? I think, I think Zach De La Rocha, it's like kind of a 1A and 1B. I think Tom Morello is the most well-known right. from the band, but I think it's like a pretty close one. The other two guys are good, but they're mostly just serviceable, I would say. In my opinion, at least, right. Um, well, so and John Paul Jones too, Led Zeppelin. We've talked about him before. That's an obvious for sure. episode. He's dude plays a million instruments beyond the bass. <laughs> yeah, Lemon Song. No, I, you listen to that song lately? Can't say I have. You've but. not, Mitch. When we're done with this, just quickly go listen to the Lemon Song. That's a bass riff you shan't forget. <laughs> I also won't forget the innuendo that's throughout the song, but... Well, that's horrible. <laughs> I don't know why Robert Plant had multiple songs about squeezing lemons, but here we are. Off, truly awful. Ignore it, just um, listen to the bass. But anyway, so that, that'd that be a good one. Um, yeah. Gosh, yeah. There's really no one from The Who you could throw as a second fiddle. <laughs> so, I mean, when you talk about when you talk about the who like us as people who are big fans of the who or like people who know music really well are for sure going to know John Entwistle. But I think someone who's a more casual fan is much more likely to know Roger Daltrey or Pete Townsend or Keith Moon than they would John Entwistle. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. How about just, um, uh, the band members for Billy Joel. (laughs) Yeah. All right. <laughs> Just a bunch of second fiddles up there. <laughs> we could talk about um little Stevie in the E Street band. <laughs> Steven Van Single Zandt. them out, yeah. <laughs> um I just had one. Oh yeah. Um Mitch Mitchell. And I'm not just saying that because of my name. Yes. Um, 
<laughs> Mitch Mitchell, the drummer for the Jimi Hendrix Experience. Mitch um, Mitchell sounds like a name that you would have made up when you were seven years old. <laughs> it's like, yeah, like I wish my name was Mitch Mitchell. <laughs> like when I was playing NBA Live, like my creative player's name would be Mitch Mitchell or something. Yeah, yeah it exactly. does sound like that. I'm doesn't surprised it? it ever was. Um, no, but I think if we did. Um, you know, if we decided to do more episodes of this, I think there's uh, plenty of places to go from here. Oh, for sure. Um, but I think I, I really enjoyed doing this today. Um, yeah. And maybe we'll do some more eventually. But in the meantime, um, who knows what it'll be next week. I, I'll never tell because I, I don't know yet. I, um, we don't figure it out till practically the day of. <laughs> that is what happened today. <laughs> um, so, hey, people out there, if you... Uh, if you enjoy very hastily put together podcasts, please uh, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're getting your podcasts and, and tell your friends about us. Uh, we're at Any Ideas Podcast on Twitter, uh, Any Ideas on Facebook, and the Any Ideas Pod at gmail.com. If you guys enjoy uh, the, Kermit's Hog, <laughs> this is the podcast. So for you. <laughs> reach out to us on social media if you think Kermit's Hog is, is good. We know Kermit the Prog is good. That, yeah, that's but not is, is Kermit's Hog, is that a podcast? Is that. <laughs> I hope it's not, I'm but I guess we'll see. Point. Okay. Um, our, our theme this week is a second fiddle to an old guitar by Gene Shepard. Uh, and until next time, remember, uh, don't ever let anyone make you second fiddle.